turn in our Bibles to Daniel and the last chapter. Daniel and chapter 12. We're really drawing to the end of uh, the book of Daniel. And uh, strictly speaking, the portion that we dealt with last time, which was uh, chapter 11, would have been the most difficult. However, what we are dealing with this uh, evening is really a part of what we read in chapter 11. Uh, it's the end section of the uh, 11th chapter vision. So we will read verse uh, 1 down to verse 4, and then uh, will uh, lead us through something of... Uh, an introduction that ties that with what has gone by in chapter 12. So Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, and some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Let me quickly remind you of what is happening here. I've said before, the book of Daniel is cleanly divided into two sections. Uh, one section is from chapter 1 up to chapter 6, and then the second section begins in chapter 7 all the way to the end. We have noted how the first six chapters, Daniel is the interpreter. He is giving the meaning of visions that are being given to different people. And in that sense, it's a little easier for us because the actual interpretations were there. When we come to the second part of this uh, prophecy, Daniel is himself the one seeing the vision, and then he consequently is not providing interpretations. However, we have noticed thus far that a lot of those visions are encapsulated in um, apocalyptic language so that a lot of them are figurative and in that sense we cannot 
conclusively determine what it is that they are speaking about. Yet there were lessons, nonetheless, that we were able to learn from all those beasts that were coming up at the horns, that were coming up through um, the, the seas and so forth, were able to learn basic lessons about the nature of the kingdom of God. When Daniel chapter 9 began, there was a bit of a change of uh, gears because in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is not seeing a vision. Rather, he has um, read from the book of uh, Jeremiah. And when he has read, he's realized that uh, the captivity that the people of Israel were in was only going to last 75 years. And when he calculated, it appeared that that liberation was around the corner. And so Daniel spent this chapter really sharing with us something of the prayer that he gave, pleading with God for God to forgive the people of Israel and consequently restore them, that in answer to his own prayers and those of others, God might fulfill what he has said already to Jeremiah. Um, sorry, it was to be 70 years, not 75 years. It was as a result of that that uh, Gabriel shows up. And really, it is this same Gabriel who takes us then into chapter 10, who takes us into chapter 11, and brings us to the first part of chapter 12. And it is really in answer to Daniel's prayers that uh, Gabriel shows up and uh, begins to minister to Daniel. What is interesting is really what we really need to capture, and it's this, that here was a godly man who is concerned not only about his own future, but about the future of the people of God. And one particular item on the agenda and that is the restoration of God's people back to the promised land. What instead God does in speaking to Daniel is to go far beyond what Daniel is asking for. He doesn't just talk to him about the issue that is on his mind, the people of Israel, and the way they were currently suffering. In fact, at the time that we are entering chapter 10, going into chapter 11, it seems fairly evident that the people of Israel have actually already been restored back to the promised land. And then there is a lot of uh, backlash upon them, especially from the Medes and the Persians who were now in power. And so it's that context that God is now speaking to him 
about. Why do I think this is important for us? And even what we'll be dealing with today is primarily this, that you know, when we pray, we, we don't pray about the rest of history. When we go before God in prayer, we are often praying about ourselves. We are praying about just a few minutes ago and even this morning about the church today in those different countries. We are praying about um, the work of missions in Eastern province. We are praying about um, um, Kapiri and what is happening there. We are praying about uh, a conference that is coming over the weekend and so on. The graduation, we, we are praying about something which is of immediate concern. And in a sense, God does answer our prayers. And in that sense, we tend to get over that hurdle that is in front of us. But what we need to see, and that's what I want us to see today, is that God has an agenda that is interwoven. It's one fabric that goes from the now, from what we're praying about, all the way to the end of history. And it is important for us, even in the midst of our own prayers, to capture something of that great agenda. And that's what is happening here as God responds to Daniel. What we have just read in Daniel to the 12, verse 1 to verse 4, is something that's thousands of years ahead of Daniel's day. Thousands of years. In fact, it's well beyond the people of Israel as a nation. It is being realized in the days of the Christian church. And yet, God shows that to Daniel that he might be encouraged. So may we also experience something of the same. Though in our case, it is not so much that an angel is sent to come and speak to us, but it is in the reading of scripture. As we read the Bible more and more, that God might open our eyes to this grand agenda. I have called my sermon God's final deliverance of his people. God's final deliverance of his people. Daniel is praying for the deliverance tomorrow. The deliverance concerning the present situation in which Israel is. And God is saying to him, there is something greater that is coming. So first of all, I want us to observe the final trouble and deliverance. The final trouble and deliverance. We notice a phrase there, at that time. At that time. We notice it twice 
in verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, and then halfway through that verse, but at that time your people shall be delivered. Two things we notice here. First of all, it is the trouble that is being spoken about, and secondly, it is the final deliverance. We are told there, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and listen to this, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. We are mindful that a lot of this strife that we've been reading about has been political strife. Remember, we saw it in chapter 11, the, the political greed that is there in human beings that is causing one kingdom, one empire to defeat another, while another one enters into some alliance with another kingdom where they are even entering into these marriages that are meant to bring kingdoms together in order to defeat other kingdoms and so on. And while we're reading all that, what Daniel is now being told is that in fact that's nothing compared to the trouble that I am speaking to you about. So in a sense you can understand what we read in chapter 10 and verse 1 which was really the beginning of this uh, beginning of this vision. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And he said to this, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. So we've seen across chapter 11, how it's been one conflict after another. The king of the south attacking the king of the north, the king of the north attacking the king of the south, and so on. We have seen as we're going along how the people of God are caught up in that conflict, but now we are being told that that's absolutely nothing compared to this final one. One which, since nations began, these same nations that are fighting, since the very first nation began, there's been nothing like this. Towards the end of uh, my sermon last week, you remember that I mentioned that uh, verse 40 down to the end, in fact, literally beginning from verse 36, but verse 40 down to the end was already opening up something of the final end of time. Well past the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When different nations also get caught up into this major conflict. And those uh, words began with the statement, and at the time of the end, at the time of the end, verse 40 of chapter 11, you have all these fightings 
beginning to take place. And then, at the very end of chapter 11, you have those words, Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. And we said that this was the personification of evil. What the Bible refers to as the Antichrist. And this is where we have finally found ourselves. So, all that to say that this must be pointing now to the end of history. The best commentary on this is Matthew chapter 24. So let's just quickly go to Matthew and chapter 24. It's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew and chapter 24. Notice verse 15. Matthew 24 and verse 15. If you are there. The Bible reads, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So we are, Jesus is telling us about what we have been reading in chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, and where we are now. Okay? Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloth. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. I mean, that's already suggesting that it's, it's a terrible time that is coming. A terrible time. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. Now listen to verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, notice, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Exactly what Daniel is being told by Gabriel here that there is a time of suffering that will come towards the end that from the time nations began it's never been that way up until now it goes on to say in verse 22 and if those days had not been cut short and that's where this deliverance is going to come in in a moment no human being would be saved but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Okay, let me skip that. Let's go on to verse um, 29. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Okay, so again, immediately after that suffering, that period of difficulty, immediately after that. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then we are told, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. 
and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And we are told there's something about angels, especially that in our text there is the arising of Michael. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. It seems to be fairly evident that what Jesus was referring to here is exactly what Daniel is speaking about. It is a period of great trouble, a period in which Michael, the great prince who has charge over the people, arises and basically says, God has called me to put an end to all this. And as he enters into that situation, it is a tumultuous period. Nations are all in uproar, and Jesus refers to that. It is at that time that God himself intervenes. He intervenes. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. In other words, it's not them fighting and winning. Uh-uh. It is an intervention that comes through. And it is an intervention that rescues all those people who belong to him. And hence the phrase, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now, those of you who are familiar with the book of uh, Revelation will know what that is referring to. In fact, my next point goes to that in a moment. And it is referring to the second coming of Christ. To him wrapping up the whole of history. It's to do with him garnering together, bringing out from all of humanity those who are his own and putting them aside completely. It is what we go on to read in chapter 25 of Matthew. Chapter 25. Well, we can begin even uh, the latter part of chapter 24 where Jesus is speaking about the fact that the day or the hour is not known uh, verse 44 of chapter 24, back to Matthew. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We read in chapter 25 and verse 31, chapter 25 and verse 31, when the Son of Man comes, in all in his glory and we have angels being spoken about there again and all the angels with him so the arising of michael the great prince or the great uh, archangel of god is literally with his entire troops coming with him 
Then he, referring to the Son of Man, will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. Now I want you to notice this. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the gods. So really, in terms of everybody whose name is written in the book, it is referring to those who belong to the people of God far beyond the immediate nation of Israel. Now for Daniel at this point, obviously he was thinking more in terms of generally the people of God. He wouldn't have had in mind the New Testament church at all. But that is included as, as Gabriel is giving this grand and great vision. Uh, uh, sorry, Revelation and chapter 21. Revelation and chapter 21. chapter 20 and verse 15 but I just want to start a little earlier remember that throne we just talked about verse 11 Revelation 20 verse 11 then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it and in his presence from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And then finally, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So really, that's what we're talking about here. There is, you remember I said to you that the book of Revelation is only understood when you have the Old Testament in, in front of you. It was being written so that its truths can be hidden from the Roman leadership, those that were persecuting the people of God. And so what we are looking at here is clearly in reference to what we've seen in our text. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Those are the ones that are rescued. So let's take one moment to just process this. Daniel is in our shoes, or we are in Daniel's shoes. We are praying over a current situation. God gives Daniel this vision all the way to the end and basically says to him, you are, you are praying, you are concerned about deliverance now. There's actually a great deliverance that is coming at the end of all history after a major conflict that makes the current conflict you are concerned about appear like a storm in a teacup. That's going to happen. The people of God will suffer 
even at that time, and then God himself is going to descend with the trumpet of God, the voice of the archangel, and wrap up history in the second coming. I want to repeat, that's the way we should be viewing all things. That in the midst of our current trials, something worse is coming. In the midst of our small deliverances, a huge, major deliverance is coming. Now what I want us to notice in the second place is that this final deliverance is through a final resurrection and a final rewarding. A final resurrection and a final rewarding. In a way, I've touched on it as we have been going to um, the book of Matthew and we've also gone to Revelation. But let's just quickly read this. Um, verse 2 and verse 3. Verse 2 and verse 3. Daniel chapter 10. Um, chapter 12. Daniel 12, verse 2 and verse 3. This is the way the deliverance, the final deliverance is going to happen. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There is a finality there, isn't it? A finality. You see, that the deliverance that, was, that Daniel was praying for, which by this point had taken place, by the way, uh, the restoration of the people of Israel back to the promised land under Cyrus was not a final deliverance because the people that were restored there would still have the regular problems that we have as human beings in their marriages, children going wild and everything else. They were still going to have uh, frustrations from foreign armies that are threatening them um, and they would also die they've died and many others have come and they've also died but there is a finality here with this final resurrection it's over there will never be death anymore. There will never be sorrow anymore. There will never be sickness anymore. There will never be whatever anymore. It's a final deliverance through this resurrection. And in that sense, it is something that is glorious because of its finality. However, Whereas the previous deliverance was in terms of the body corporate. In other words, when they were released to go back to the promised land, it was as long as you are an Israelite, you can go. How you lived, what you did with your life, was beside the point. 
You just hit among the numbers and phew, you could be celebrating like anybody else as long as you're an Israelite. This final deliverance is very personal. It's very personal. It's not, you know, Baptists have been delivered. So as long as you're Baptist, you're delivered. Huh? It's one on one. Listen to this. Many of those who sleep in the dust of death shall awake. Some, there it is, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It is a deliverance, but it takes cognizance of your true spiritual state. Let me take you back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. In fact, 25 this time. Matthew 25. We stopped reading at verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the gods. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the gods on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to this. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. The righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, truly I say to you, as you, that's very personal, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So this final deliverance is not just, you know, because you were baptized and you were a church member and, and so on, surely. It's not because you, you professed Christianity. It is that yours was a transformed life. A transformed life. Where you stopped living for yourself and you began to live for others. Out of genuine love. A love for God aiming to love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and a love for others, loving my neighbor as I love myself. The ones, on the other hand, that um, 
raised to shame and everlasting contempt. Listen to this, verse 41. Then we, he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick? or in prison and did not minister to you. Then you answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And notice that, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's the major difference. It is this final resurrection that is taking us into different rewards. In uh, John chapter 5, allow me just quickly take you there, it helps us just see, again, precisely the same thing. The voice of the Lord Jesus brings about the total change, and then we have individuals going one way or the other. John chapter 5, verse 28 to verse 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. Remember, at that time, at that time, the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. They will hear his voice and come out. Notice, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Brethren, we must never lose sight of the difference with respect to this final deliverance, the final resurrection, and the rewards that come with it. When persecution comes, it comes upon the church and it comes without discrimination. As long as you are identified with the church, you suffer like everybody else. But when this finally comes to take place, you won't be saying, well, I was part of the church and therefore I suffered with everybody else. It is your life. Has your life proved that you've changed? Or better still, that God has changed you. In the words of Daniel, back to chapter 12, the way it is put is this, verse 3. 
And those who are wise, that's the phrase that is used there. Verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. They will glitter because their bodies will be transformed to look like Jesus' glorious body. They will shine in that sense, like the stars of the sky. And then, this is the way they are described. And those who turn many to righteousness. That's, those who are wise are people who are ministering into the lives of others. And therefore, helping them to come from sin to salvation. From evil to righteousness. These are the ones that will shine like the stars forever and ever. That's what God is saying. And in a sense, if you've got a righteous soul, you should be saying amen to this. Because the church corporate is full of hypocrites. Individuals who are outwardly numbered with the people of God but the God who sees human hearts knows that they are nothing but Judas Iscariot. That's all they are. Now to end up with such people in God's heaven would be to pollute heaven terribly. This final deliverance is going to be a purifying deliverance. It's one that only those who are the true people of God will enter into. From every generation, starting from Adam and Eve, all the way to the last individual who will ever die, all the way, including those who are alive, there will be this very clear separation, this very clear deliverance, and the receiving of eternal rewards. May I quickly end by the instruction that was given to Daniel. And it was that you should shut up the words and seal up what you've just heard. Verse 4. These are the last words of uh, Gabriel here. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until there it is again time, the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. What is he being told there? I think it's obvious. It's something like this. You see, Daniel, you'll soon die. But these words need to outlive you. These words need to minister to generations yet unborn. So I want you to preserve these words. These words, as he had said in chapter 10, are true. Remember those words. They are true. They are reliable. 
Therefore, preserve them so that generations to come will find comfort and encouragement in them. Well, we can say yes and amen to that country because here we are reading these words and we are finding, first of all, the history that has already been covered. Remember we we're saying if you look backwards, we're able to say, wow, this is precise prophecy. There's nothing vague here. We saw that across chapter 11 as there was the prophecy to do with uh, the Medes and the Persian Empire, the prophecy to do with the Greek Empire, the prophecy to do with the Roman Empire. We saw all that clearly portrayed. But more so, it is what we are seeing even now because it's meant to say to us that the future is set. God has his plan. And we just need to make sure that we are on the right side when the combined harvester comes to deliver his people. That little phrase at the end, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. It seems positive, but in actual fact it's a negative statement. Basically what it is saying is that because you've you've shut up these words so many people will be looking for counsel and advice and and guidance and and so forth they'll be going everywhere in the midst of the increase of knowledge and yet they will be in complete ignorance still because the truth has been shut up the truth is in here and uh, one way in which we can see this is in Amos, and with that I must quickly end. Amos is uh, in the Minor Prophets. You have uh, Hosea, Joel, and then Amos. Uh, chapter 8. And Amos chapter 8 deals with this major conflict. Uh, if you notice there, um, it says the end has come of this, this two, um, the second part. The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. Okay, so it's really dealing with the end of... Uh, uh, history, the end of time. Uh, look at verse 9 of Amos 8. And on that day declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Okay, so again you can see we were reading something of that in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of God. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east, 
they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find so it's a situation where God's word is there, but it is sealed, it is locked up. And then people are seeking everywhere else. And with all the multiplication of knowledge, there is still terrible spiritual ignorance. That's where Daniel's, uh, rather Gabriel's statement to Daniel Ends. And the Lord willing, when we pick it up next, we will be going on to Daniel's own response to all this, and the entire book comes to an end. What would I like to say, therefore, as we close? It's exactly where we began, and it is this. Often when we are praying, and we are thinking in terms of the future, we are thinking in terms of where will I get a job? I've just finished university. Uh, so many of my friends finished as well, and they are out there, they are all job hunting. Where will I get a job? Who's going to marry me? Uh, where will I take my children to school? And so on and so forth. Those are the kind of issues that we are often wrestling with. And true, let's pray about them. Let's keep them before the Lord in prayer. We are praying about sicknesses, um, that the Lord might cure us from illness. We're praying about the coming elections, that there might not be violence, political violence, with an election that's coming up. We're praying for the economy of the nation. Again, let's pray for those things. Just right. Daniel here was praying. And we pray for the church as well. We pray for our missions work, we pray for our evangelistic work, we pray for the meetings that are coming up, and so on. We are praying as it were up to the end of our noses. But as we do so, let's bear in mind that history is God's story. It's going somewhere. And let's keep that in mind. As God wanted to encourage Daniel with the full story, he has revealed this to us. It was shut up, but it's there in front of us. Jesus himself has brought even more light into the end. Let's keep the bigger picture in mind so that in whatever we are doing, we are remembering that there is a final deliverance that's coming. But listen to this. For me to be on the wrong side or on the right side will depend on how genuinely saved I am. Not simply that I go to church but that I have known what it means to undergo genuine regeneration, conversion of the soul. That I'm an individual who knows genuine repentance and what it means to hate sin and live for righteousness. 
There are many individuals concerned about the spiritual well-being of other people. And therefore, I am telling others by the grace of God to righteousness. That you can review my life and you see a life of genuine love for others. And that's where history is going and I should be counted among such. So let's search ourselves. Let's just make sure that as we're thinking about the future, we are not simply saying, you know, let me learn about prophecy, how good was Daniel. Wow, he was able to, to even bring out Alexander the Great here. He was able to, to bring out all these things. It's much more than it is that he is saying, be wise, be wise, make sure you are on the side of God by a real conversion that your life itself abundantly shows. May God help us all to be just that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've listened to this rather lengthy vision that Gabriel showed Daniel, which far exceeded what he had been asking for. And at the end of it all, suddenly, Instead of watching a play from the grandstand, we find ourselves at the very center of the stage with the stage light fixed upon us. Asking conscience-piercing questions whether our lives manifest the grace of God in salvation. Oh, Father, save us through Jesus Christ. May the resurrection not prove to be an embarrassment and a scandal where we should be saying to your son, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? And that he should instead reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evil doer. Oh Lord, help us to genuinely repent now. To be truly your children now where we can see that our lives have been transformed by the working of your Holy Spirit. Do this, O Lord, for us, we pray, that Jesus might be glorified in us now and that we might rejoice with him when he returns 
in the clouds of glory. In whose name we pray. Amen.